MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, June 4th, 2020. Today, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison ups the murder charge against Chauvin to second-degree murder and charges the other three officers with aiding and abetting second-degree murder. Bill Barr tells the DEA to spy on protesters. The FBI finds no evidence Antifa was involved in any violence during the protests in D.C. The National Guard deploys a medic helicopter to execute a combat theater maneuver against protesters. The Secretary of Defense bucks Trump and says there's no need for military response from the Republican Majority Whip agrees. Trump has Kushner push the Inquirer to investigate the Scarborough conspiracy theory. Trump claims he was just inspecting the White House bunker when he hid there. Another hydroxychloroquine study proves Trump was wrong. Racist Steve King loses his Iowa primary. Trump is forced service chiefs to stay quiet about George Floyd. Minnesota schools cancel their contract with the Minnesota police. A top Pentagon official resigns in the wake of the photo op. And Trump commits voter fraud. I'm your host, A.G. So, as you can see, we have an extremely packed news day. There is a lot of important news that is dropping uh, minute by minute. Uh, It is currently 3.45 p.m. on the West Coast on June 3rd. I just wanted to give you a timestamp so that you sort of knew where we were at when we recorded this episode. Uh, Today, Jordan will be sending her update remotely, and I will be joined by Amanda Reeder for the Good News Block at the end of the show. And don't forget our new show, Quarantine Confessions, debuts this Saturday, June 6th, and it comes out the day before for patrons. Um, We also have our live stream Q&A happy hour this Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And I will be joined today by former state and federal prosecutor Ellie Honig to discuss the charges against all four officers in the Floyd case. And I will be speaking with former director, assistant director of the FBI for counterintelligence, Frank Figluzzi, about Bill Barr ordering the DEA to spy on protesters. That is unprecedented. It's bananas and it's flying under the radar. You need to hear about it. Uh, As you could probably tell, uh, like I said by the intro, we do have a hell of a lot of news to get to. So let's hand it over to Jordan with Hot Notes. Hot notes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Jordan's A Block. Just going to call it that for now. I'll make it easy for everybody. Um, A lot of stuff. Obviously, I'm going to get right into it. There's a few different headlines I'm going to cover today, kind of switching gears from COVID headlines to protest headlines and what's going on around the world right now for justice for George Floyd. First story I have is coming out of Minneapolis Public Schools. They announced Tuesday that their board voted unanimously on Tuesday night to end their contract with their city's police department. Um, This is something that makes a huge difference, and we'll get into that later, but it's it's really, really important and awesome that they did this. Uh, They had a $1.1 million contract with them, and they're terminating it because of the actions of law enforcement after... Floyd's death, they said that those actions, quote, ran directly counter to the values of the district, end quote. That's according to BuzzFeed. Minneapolis public schools aren't going to negotiate any further with the police department. This is a closed and done deal. In a 2018 Government Accountability Office report, it was found that black students in K-12 schools are disproportionately disciplined compared to other students of other races. 
There's another study from the Advancement Project, their nonprofit that focuses on racial justice issues, uh, that found police in schools is an issue of American racial disparity that requires deep structural change, end quote. That kind of change comes from schools and school boards divesting from police departments, essentially, and getting them out of their schools. Their school board chair, Kim Ellison, told the Star Tribune that she values people, education, and life. And she said, quote, Now I'm convinced, based on the actions of the Minneapolis Police Department, that we don't have the same values, end quote. So this is really, this is, this is good news. Starting off the A block with good news. Um, this is extra good news. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this concept. For those of you that are not, I have a quick video that Al Jazeera, uh, I think it's, a, it's, it stems from them, uh, about this concept of the school to prison pipeline. And this is put really succinctly in this quick clip that I found and forgive the sort of upbeat production here. It's, it's like kind of a perky voice talking and everything might come off a bit tone deaf given the times right now. So just forgive that, but there's good information in there. That's very quick about what the school to prison pipeline is, what it means and the effects that it has. So let's hear that. The school to prison pipeline. It's a term that describes how American kids get pushed out of public schools and into the juvenile and criminal justice systems. Basically, harsh zero tolerance policies in schools have led to more suspensions, expulsions, and even in school arrests. Getting suspended or expelled means more time away from school, and it doesn't take an honor student to figure out that's bad news. In fact, expelled and suspended students are more likely to get held back a grade, end up in juvie, or just drop out altogether. And dropping out of high school makes you three times more likely to get arrested. Back in school, forget about hallway monitors. Students these days often have to deal with school police. Minor offenses that might have landed you in the principal's office back in the day can now actually lead to your arrest. Students of color and those with disabilities are disproportionately affected. Black students get expelled three times more than their white classmates, while a student with a disability is two times more likely to get an out-of-school suspension than everyone else. And it's not because these kids are just bad apples. The Justice Department found that black students got harsher punishments than their white peers for doing the same things. So maybe it's time our education system got schooled? Call your school boards, see if police occupy schools in your area, and if they do, demand that they leave. I, I can't tell you, like, how unnecessary it is for there to be a police presence in schools, in K-12 schools. You heard in that video the same things that kids would get in trouble for and then be sent to the principal's office for. Now they're getting sent to police, and they're getting processed through the criminal justice system before they even turn 18 years old. Essentially, indoctrinate, not that's the wrong word, in bringing them into a system that is set up to keep people in the system. Call your school boards. See if they do that. Demand that they don't. I think what's so important about what's happening right now is that we keep seeing, you know, there's this issue of why now? This has all been happening this entire time, and it has, and that's true. And I think everybody has to deal with that issue in themselves of why now? I do, for sure. These are things that I care about very much. I wasn't working on them as much as I am right now. Admitting that sucks. Because the only thing that's changed between the day before 
George Floyd was murdered and the day after is that people took to the streets versus not as many people taking to the streets. People have been taking to the streets too. I mean, this is these protests happen, you know, every almost every time that a black person is murdered in these communities, but this was a straw that broke a camel's back and now everybody is needing to confront this and confronting this means finding out what you can do and a lot of resources are being shared with what you can do and I'm going to share an example of one that somebody passed along in San Diego that's really really awesome and easy to do but one of the other things you could do is doing stuff like this calling your school board so just do it that's an action item if you want to check out your school board's relationship with your police department and look into it yourself and start a petition and this is we know if any if we learn one thing from this moment right now it's that protests work and people power works and petitions work and we have the ears right now of leaders and you need to capitalize on it so if you're able to check that out when it comes to that issue specifically and like i said i will uh give y'all an example of a really amazing document that's a leader put together in san diego for some other things that you can do next story is coming from james n miller who is somebody that worked under secretary of defense mark esper and resigned june 2nd 2020 i'm just going to read his letter in his entirety its entirety because it's uh important to hear so here it is dear secretary esper I resign from the Defense Science Board, effective immediately. When I joined the board in early 2014, after leaving government service as Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, I again swore an oath of office, one familiar to you, that includes the commitment to support and defend the Constitution of the United States and to bear true faith and allegiance to the same. You recited that same oath on July 23, 2019, when you were sworn in as Secretary of Defense. On Monday, June 1st, 2020, I believe that you violated that oath. Law-abiding protesters just outside the White House were dispersed using tear gas and rubber bullets, not for the sake of safety, but to clear a path for a presidential photo op. You then accompanied President Trump in walking from the White House to St. John's Episcopal Church for that photo. President Trump's actions Monday night violated his oath to take care that the laws be faithfully executed as well as the First Amendment right of the people peacefully to assemble. You may not have been able to stop President Trump from directing this appalling use of force, but you could have chosen to oppose it. Instead, you visibly supported it. Anyone who takes the oath of office must decide where he or she will draw the line. What are the things that they will refuse to do? Secretary Esper, you have served honorably for many years in active and reserve military duty, as Secretary of the Army, and now as Secretary of Defense. You must have thought long and hard about where that line should be drawn. I must now ask, if last night's blatant violations do not cross the line for you, what will? Unfortunately, it appears there may be few, if any, lines that President Trump is not willing to cross, so you will probably be faced with this terrible question again in the coming days. You may be asked to take, or to direct the men and women serving in the U.S. military to take, actions that further undermine the Constitution and harm Americans. As a concerned citizen... And as a former senior defense official who cares deeply about the military, I urge you to consider closely both your future actions and your future words. For example, some could interpret literally your suggestion to the nation's governors Monday that they need to dominate the battle space. That's a quote, dominate the battle space. 
I cannot believe that you see the United States as a battle space or that you believe our citizens must be dominated. Such language sends an extremely dangerous signal. You have made life and death decisions in combat overseas. Soon you may be asked to make life and death decisions about using the military on American streets and against Americans. Where will you draw the line and when will you draw it? I hope this letter of resignation will encourage you to again contemplate the obligations you undertook in your oath of office, as well as your obligations to the men and women in our military and other Americans whose lives may be at stake. In the event that at least some other senior officials may be inclined to ask these questions after reading this letter, I am making it public. I wish you the best in very difficult times. The sanctity of the U.S. Constitution and the lives of Americans may depend on your choices. Sincerely, James N. Miller. Esper tried to come out. Um, he had a press conference and he condemned Trump's invoking of the Insurrection Act. However, he defended the rubber bullets and tear gas. He said, well, he said that reports that they were deployed weren't true. Correct me if I'm wrong. Those were the words that he said. I don't know what kind of like verbal gymnastics he was doing to try to get out of being held or associated uh, with that, but he shit the bed right after doing this, uh, which was parting with Trump on his invoking of that Insurrection Act. He's not the only one that uh, went against Trump on that. Senate Majority Whip John Toon did that as well. That happened today on Wednesday. This happened after... Um, Esper came out saying that he opposed invoking the Insurrection Act of 1807, and that's to deploy active U.S. military on American soil to quell protests. The majority whip said, I think that these tasks ought to be relegated as much as possible to the state and local authorities, the law enforcement, and police. You got National Guard in the states they can activate. I know there are instances in the past where they've had to call up active duty personnel, but I think the goal always is to de-escalate, not escalate. So my view is that's the right call. And he's right. That should be the goal, to de-escalate. But obviously, that is not the goal. They want to escalate, as is shown by all of the things that people are doing, police departments and sheriff's departments, and now federal departments are choosing to do to protesters around the country. I have a clip of what Esper said uh, when he parted with Trump and because it's very historically significant I'm going to play it and I wonder if it's going to be the last time that we hear from this guy let's hear it now to the Pentagon the Secretary of Defense Mark Esper giving comments about the military's involvement in all this let's listen in the killing of George Floyd by a Minneapolis policeman is a horrible crime the officers on the scene that day should be held accountable for his murder it is a tragedy that we have seen repeat itself too many times. With great sympathy, I want to extend the deepest of condolences to the family and friends of George Floyd from me and the department. Racism is real in America, and we must all do our very best to recognize it, to confront it, and to eradicate it. I've always been proud to be a member of an institution the United States military, that embraces diversity and inclusion and prohibits hate and discrimination in all forms. More often than not, we have led on these issues. 
And while we still have much to do on this front, leaders across DOD and the services take this responsibility seriously, and we are determined to make a difference. Every member of this department has sworn an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. I've taken this oath many times, beginning at the age of 18 when I entered West Point. The rights that are embedded in this great document begin with the First Amendment, which guarantees the five freedoms of speech, religion, press, assembly, and the right to petition the government. The United States military is sworn to defend these and all other rights, and we encourage Americans at all times to exercise them peacefully. It is these rights and freedoms that make our country so special, and it is these rights and freedoms that American service members are willing to fight and die for. At times, however, the United States military is asked, in support of governors and law enforcement, to help maintain law and order so that other Americans can exercise their rights free from violence against themselves or their property. That is what thousands of guardsmen are doing today in cities across America. It is not something we seek to do, but it is our duty, and we do it with the utmost skill and professionalism. I was rem reminded of that Monday as I visited our National Guardsmen who were on duty Monday night protecting our most hallowed grounds and monuments. I'm very proud of the men and women of the National Guard who are out on the streets today performing this important task and in many ways at the risk of their own welfare. I've always believed and continue to believe that the National Guard is best suited for performing domestic support to civil authorities in these situations in support of local law enforcement. I say this not only as Secretary of Defense, but also as a former soldier and a former member of the National Guard. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not in one of those situations now. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. Last night, a story came out based on a background interview I did earlier in the day. It focused on the events last Monday evening in Lafayette Park, and I found it to be inaccurate in parts. So I want to state very clearly for all to hear my count of what happened that Monday afternoon. I did know that following the President's remarks on Monday evening that many of us were going to join President Trump and review the damage in Lafayette Park and at St. John's Episcopal Church. What I was not aware of was exactly where we were going when we, when we arrived at the church and what the plans were once we got there. It was also my aim and General Milley's to meet with and thank the members of the National Guard who were on duty that evening in the park. It is something the President likes to do as well. The path we took to and from the church didn't afford us that opportunity, but I was able to spend a considerable amount of time with our guardsmen later that evening as I moved around the city to many of the locations at which they were posted. I also want to address a few other matters that have been raised about that evening. First, National Guard forces did not fire rubber bullets or tear gas into the crowd, as reported. Second, guardsmen were instructed to wear helmets and personal protective equipment for their own protection, not to serve as some form of intimidation. Third, 
Military leaders, including the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, were wearing field uniforms because that is the appropriate uniform when working in a command center and meeting with troops in the streets. Fourth, it wasn't until yesterday afternoon that we determined it was a National Guard helicopter that hovered low over a city block in D.C. Within an hour or so of learning of this, I directed the Secretary of the Army to conduct an inquiry to determine what happened and why, and to report back to me. Now, you all have been very generous with your time, so let me wrap up by stating again how very proud I am of our men and women in uniform. The National Guard, over the short span of several months, has gone from tackling natural disasters such as floods to combating the coronavirus across the country to now dealing with civil unrest in support of law enforcement on the streets of America. All while many of their fellow guardsmen are deployed abroad defending against America's real adversaries. Most importantly, I want to assure all of you and all Americans that the Department of Defense, the Armed Services, our uniform leaders, our civilian leaders, and I take seriously our oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States and to safeguard those very rights contained in that, that document we cherish so dearly. This is a tough time for our great country these days, but we will get through it. My hope is that instead of the violence in the streets, we will see peaceful demonstrations that honor George Floyd, that press for accountability for his murder, that move us to reflect about racism in America, and that serve as a call to action for us to come together and to address this problem once and for all. This is the America your military represents. This is the America we aspire to be. And this is the America that we're committed to defending with our lives. Final story I'm going to be reporting on comes out of one of those tactics that we were just talking about. That is an escalation tactic and nothing else. Um, So the D.C. protesters, they had been peacefully protesting and curfew had fallen and D.C. National Guard uh, is now asking for an investigation into the use of a helicopter in the city to disperse those crowds that were protesting. It was a low-flying helicopter, basically, that was using the the winds, like the high-speed winds generated from the chopper to disperse the people on the ground. There's videos of it. If you look it up, it's fucking crazy. It's like this, it's a, it's a helicopter flowing in between buildings, super, super low to the ground, everybody's hair clothes everything is just like whipping around it, it's it's super gnarly and not only that but it was a craft that had red cross markings on it using its rotor wash um, as it's called and so many things are fucked up about that air force lieutenant colonel brooke davis a spokeswoman for the dc national guard told the hill this Major General William J. Walker, District of Columbia National Guard Commanding General, has directed an investigation into a June 1st low-flying maneuver conducted by one of our rotary aviation assets. Our highest priority is the safety of our citizen soldiers and airmen who support civil authorities as they perform their duties. This is our home, and we are dedicated to the safety and security of our fellow citizens of the district and their right to safely and peacefully protest. Jeffrey Korn, former Army lawyer and professor at South Texas College of Law in Houston, said this was a foolish move. The symbolic significance of the Red Cross is pervasive. It denotes a non-combatant function of the armed forces. 100% it does. 
And that's like, that's the most fucked up thing. One of the most fucked up things that's happening right now with this escalation that's happening across the country is you have all of these people who are exercising their First Amendment rights, 99% of them within the bounds of the law. And then you have these escalation tactics where you're just establishing distrust between the people that are supposed to, that are saying they're doing this to protect your rights when any fucking idiot can so clearly see that that is not the case. It is the opposite. Peaceful protesters are getting shot with tear gas, rubber bullets, and more. Getting kicked, they're getting the shit kicked out of them, dude. With like, you've seen these videos of journalists, there's just like, there was those, those Australian journalists, for example, as the line of police was coming, the guy, uh, the police just fucking took his shield and like rammed it into the chest of a, of a cameraman and like shoved one of the women journalists and just, it's just so much aggressive force that are creating these images that will be burned and seared into the memory of Americans and people around the globe forever. And it's going to be... I can't trust these people that say they're here to protect me because they're not. I'm here and they're not trying to protect me. That's not what they're doing. Sorry, I'm running kind of long on this A block. I'm going to finish up very quickly uh, with what I said I was going to do, which is an example of direct action that you can do and find in your city. And I just thought this was super cool. Uh, My friend Kylie Chance, she's, she's like a really, really awesome organizer in san diego uh she reposted this from somebody and essentially what it is is a step-by-step guide to contact your assembly people uh, and make some demands that these are specific to california but just check it out in your communities and see i I guarantee that there's the equivalent of this uh, in your areas, but I wanted to really quick just re- read what an example of this looks like. Uh, so this this is a, a Google Doc that someone created that says, Hello San Diego, whether you are someone who has been committed to the Black Lives Matter cause for a while or someone who wants to help but doesn't quite know where to start, we want to help everyone come together to make a substantial change within San Diego County. Below are templates and simple instructions to reach out to your city council members, county supervisors, and state senators, either via phone or email, regarding very real, logical, and current legislative measures. We urge you to use your time and resources to make your voices heard for the black community as we all stand and fight in solidarity for the better of this city, county, and around the world. We are all upset by the ongoing violence against black people in America. Here are five things we'd like to see changed. And then what follows is five things uh, to do and people to contact about those things. I'll just read a quick example for the first one. First one is email your council member demanding to give San Diego's Community Review Board the power and mandate to independently investigate police actions. The city of San Diego has a Community Review Board on police practices, which reviews and evaluates officer-involved shootings, all in-custody deaths, and all police actions that result in the death of a person. However, the CRB does not have independent investigative powers or the ability to prosecute officers. It instead oversees investigations that the police department conducts on itself and makes recommendations. You can call or write to your city council member and tell them to give the CRB the power and mandate to independently investigate police actions using the templates below. And then you scroll down and then it's got the resources to find out who your assemblyman is or woman. And then it's got the contact info for each of them. And then, uh, sorry, council member. And then it's also got a template that you just copy paste into the email and 
that's that's action one and you do it and it's super simple you don't have to call you can call and email that'd be ideal um but that that's a tangible that's a very tangible thing some some people are like oh what does protesting do i hope by this point you realize that it does something but if you're someone that's more you know directly legislatively motivated uh these are perfect examples it's it's such a great resource it goes on for example the next example is to San Diego County has a Citizens Law Enforcement Review Board, which performs a similar function as the CRB, but for the county sheriff. So then it's the same thing, but advocating to the sheriff's department to make that change, to make it so that there's an independently uh, investigative body that is overseeing these and seeing them through to justice outside of the police who have proved that they cannot do this themselves. So look for local leaders, you know. AG always says look for the helpers and that's 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 such a great piece of advice. Hit up your blacklight don't actually they're inundated with with emails. I would say try to not hit them up probably <laughs> right now cuz they're they're super busy. If you can find the information elsewhere, I would say hit BLM chapters up as like a super last resort uh, because I I'm sure you can find the information without going to them. But you can follow them on their Instagram stories or just find community leaders that you know are involved in grassroots organizations. And, you know, everybody's got that friend that's like, oh man, you know, I, I always remember them being really into activism. I should hit them up. Hit them up. Be like, hey, do you know of any direct actions right now that are being organized and people can take part in? It took me literally 15 minutes to do like five of these things. And I just, I did them all on my phone and it's so much of it is just copy and paste. And this is like real legislative demands that make sense and they're doable they're so doable and they would absolutely make a difference so look around for that stuff when the protests eventually you know become smaller in number um eventually this is the kind of work that has to keep going and this is the kind of work that i am making a personal pledge to myself to not let just fall to the wayside like it has for pretty much most of america and a lot of good people and don't get too down on yourself just jump jump in you know like i'm i'm sitting here telling you i fucking fucked up by not doing this work in this capacity when it was happening before and that's okay and it's no reason to not be involved now and do it and use your voice and use your power and fucking vote also keep donating to bail funds keep donating to get out the vote funds keep donating to any blm affiliated chapters in your area there's so many different organizations working for justice you can send your money to if you don't want to directly go out and protest and sorry this was long okay thank you everybody be safe all right thanks for those updates jordan we'll be right back with headlines from under the radar after this quick break so stay with us Hey everybody, it's AG, and this tasty helping of the Daily Beans is brought to you by Magic Spoon. If you have been on one of our Q&A happy hours on Fridays, you know how much I love this friggin' cereal. Uh, growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. I used to plop myself down in front of the TV for Saturday morning cartoons, which they don't have anymore either. And I was afraid I wouldn't be able to ever have cereal again because, you know, I avoid carbs and sugar. And as an adult, you just there's a lot of junk in cereal you shouldn't put in your body. But I am so excited I have found Magic Spoon. It is a cereal that tastes delicious, but without the sugar, carbs, or guilt. 
Um, brings me right back to the feeling of being a kid watching Saturday morning cartoons and drinking cereal milk when you're done. I missed that. Um, it is so good, you won't believe it's actually super healthy. Forbes magazine says, with cereal that tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value as opposed to, well, none, Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast. And I agree. Uh, Magic Spoon cereals amazingly have zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. With four delicious flavors, including cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. You can tell where that's going. Magic Spoon tastes incredible. It's honestly too good to be true. Because, first of all, it's keto-friendly, it's gluten-free, it's grain-free, it's soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. My favorite flavor right now, today, uh, it changes every day, is uh, blueberry. It's delicious. I eat it dry. It's a healthy snack. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans to grab a variety pack. Trial for Try today. And be sure to use promo code dailybeans at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, as am I. It is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. That is magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use the code dailybeans for free shipping. All right, everybody, welcome back. Here is what is happening today under the radar. Iowa rep Steve King, the super racist. He was uh, censured in Congress. I think that went through. Um, But he has lost his primary bid for re-election in Iowa. So, yay. Excellent news. Um, I could go over all the racist things he said in the past, but just look him up. It's really bad. We've covered it several times here on the show because he just, every time he opens his mouth, it's fucking disgusting. Um, And of course, uh, Biden wins Pennsylvania primary. He won every single county in Pennsylvania. So Biden, go Biden. And Google is facing a $5 billion lawsuit in the United States for tracking private internet use. You think I'm joking when I do those ExpressVPN commercials. I am fucking not joking. This complaint says Google cannot continue to engage in the covert and unauthorized data collection from virtually every American with a computer or phone. So this class action suit accuses Google of illegally invading the privacy of millions of users by pervasively tracking our internet use through browsers even when they're set in private mode. This suit was filed in federal court in San Jose, California. We will keep you posted as the story unfolds. That shit needs to stop. And another large-scale study with over 800 subjects, 827, I think, 821 um, people, is finding out no evidence, again, of hi- that hydroxychloroquine is helpful in preventing COVID-19. According to the New England Journal of Medicine, very reputable journal, 107 of the 821 first responders that were part of the study Uh, that were exposed to COVID, developed COVID, and hydroxychloroquine made no clinical meaningful impact between the placebo group and the hydroxychloroquine group. A study concluded taking hydroxychloroquine after being exposed to someone with COVID-19 does not protect someone from getting the disease. Trump is an idiot. I added that last part. And the man behind the herd immunity strategy in Sweden, that's hard to say, the herd immunity strategy in Sweden, has, that's not the, Eminem should get on, that's a good lyric, uh, has admitted, though I don't know how well a rap song would do about COVID and Sweden's herd immunity strategy. Anyway, um, the, the, the orchestrator, the guy who decided that that was the way to go, the epidemiologist in, in Sweden who said this is the best way, has admitted he is a dumbass. Uh, it caused too many deaths. He would do it differently next time. He would never do this again. 
a lot of Trump supporters and people who are protesting having to wear a mask and, and having to stay at home when they want to get haircuts and have fucking pedicures are crying about their right to not, you know, ha I have a right to not wear a mask. And businesses are saying you can't come in if you have a mask on. They all use Sweden as some kind of evidence. They prop up on this pedestal that herd immunity is the way and we should just let the virus wash over the population. It's the right choice. These are the dumb fucks who still send their kids over to kids' houses who have chicken pox. Um, it is not the right choice. Herd immunity is not the right choice. We've been saying this forever. Uh, and I just, it wasn't me based on my expertise. I mean, I do have a public health degree, but I was listening to experts uh, like McNeil, Doug McNeil and uh, virologists and, and that whole email group of, of leading doctors uh, in the government. It was called Red Dawn or I don't know. That email group, listening to those experts, this that's a stupid way. Let it wash over the country. That was Trump's first away, and now it's his way now because he doesn't give a shit about it anymore. COVID is off the radar. Um, it's never been the way. We were right. Wear your fucking mask. Stay six feet apart. Stay home when you can. Um, and this is amazing. Trump was pissy about America's reaction to him hiding in the White House bunker. He was so pissy about it that now he's trying to convince us all he was not hiding uh, he was taken down to the bunker to inspect it during the riots, during the uh, uprising outside of the outside of the Capitol. And I assume they were just testing the lights when they turned them off. Sure, buddy. That is the that is the lamest walk back I've ever heard. You can't say, hey, look, in times of crisis, the, the, the president and vice president need to be secure. We can't. That's why we don't. That's why he has Air Force Two and I have Air Force One. We can't be on the same plane at the same time, uh, et cetera. These are don't be stupid. Like he can't even do that. He his he's got such like sad dick energy that he has to come up with a reason uh, to go to the bunker for protection as the president of the United States. What a fucking baby. Um, also, apparently. We do have mail-in voter fraud, and it's Trump that does it because he tried to register to vote in Florida using an out-of-state address. The application uh, for his registration listed the White House as his legal residence, but Florida law requires voters to be legal residents of Florida. And a month later, he resubmitted it using his Florida address and, and voted by mail in Florida's Republican primary. His voter registration application was obtained by Washington Post and was filed with the wrong address during right around that same day. It actually was the exact same day, now that I look at it, that he was making highly publicized moves to change his permanent residence from Manhattan to Mar-a-Lago. I don't want to live in New York anymore. Meh. So he moved his residence from Manhattan to Mar-a-Lago the same day he told Florida his residence was D.C., uh, lying on a voter registration form is illegal with punishments, including fines and even prison time. We know that won't happen, but just another law. Throw another law on the fire. Uh, that happened. And finally, Trump had Kushner push the National Enquirer. National Enquirer, owned by Pecker, a very good friend of Trump's. He's been on our Fantasy Indictment League on the Mueller She Wrote podcast forever. David Pecker, they um, uh, extorted Bezos uh, by saying they would release dirty photos of uh, him and his mistress, Lauren Sanchez. And, of course, Bezos got out in front of it, put that Medium article out. This is the same inquirer that probably blew up their non-prosecution agreement uh, in the Cohen, you know, uh, Stormy Daniels payoff case. Catch and kill. That, that, that case. They had a non-prosecution agreement. We won't prosecute you if, you if you cooperate with us and if you don't fucking crime anymore. No more criming. And then they extorted Bezos. 
course, we haven't heard anything from that. I'm sure Barr just shoved it under the rug with everything else that came out of that Mueller report, including the 12 redacted Appendix D cases that were referred off to other agencies. But anyway, that National Enquirer, the one that that put out the big, giant, shiny uh, book about how awesome MBZ and MBS are, that... That, that's the inquirer that we're talking about. The one with the vault with all the dirt on Trump for decades in it. The one where dirt went missing from that safe in the headquarters. Yeah, them. So Trump pushed Kushner to push them to probe the Scarborough conspiracy theory. The one that um, Joe Scarborough uh, murdered a former staffer, which, of course, is nonsense. This is another instance of Trump lying and then trying to force people to make his lie real. He's doing it with the Barr investigation into the Russia investigation. Uh, he did it with Ukraine. Uh, he did it w- uh, when, when he forced spy agencies to, pr- to try to prove COVID came from a lab in Wuhan after him and, and Bill Barr said they had enormous evidence that it did. Of course, the Democrats demanded that evidence. It was never handed over, and Barr walked back his comments because it's not fucking true, but he tried to get our intelligence community to go make it true. He also did this when he took a Sharpie to a weather map. And now, as he forces Bill Barr to make the uh, DEA spy on protesters to hopefully find evidence to prove his lie that Antifa is responsible for the violence. So asking Kushner to tell the Inquirer to make the Scarborough conspiracy true is not surprising at all. It's just disgusting. So those are headlines from under the radar. And, of course, the lead story today is that Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison has superseded the third-degree murder charge in the George Floyd case to second-degree murder and has charged the other three officers with aiding and abetting in second-degree murder. And joining me today to discuss is former state and federal prosecutor and CNN legal analyst Ellie Honig. Ellie, you and I spoke this weekend uh, about that second-degree murder charge and how it was warranted, and that just happened today. Remind us why this is appropriate. Sure. So it's it's interesting because we we were mostly right in that we we called for a second-degree murder charge and we said it's warranted. What the attorney general has done is actually a bit creative, and I mean that in a good way, in that there's two ways you can show a second-degree murder. You can prove a second-degree murder under Minnesota law. One, the way we were talking about is showing that it was an intentional, not premeditated, but intentional killing. And the second one, this is the route they took, is what's called felony murder, meaning that if you're in the course of committing another felony, whether a robbery uh, or, or a kidnapping, and a murder happens as part of that felony, then you are liable for the murder. And here they've charged that the felony was assault. So they've sort of smartly lowered the bar for themselves. So they have to prove an intentional assault where murder, excuse me, where a death resulted. Ah, so they aren't going with intent on this. I, I, um, that is fascinating because you're right. You and I were talking about there's so intent. Um, but wow. Okay. So felony murder. And that I, I remember reading that in the second degree requirements to charge a second degree murder means, you know, if you're robbing a bank and you kill somebody, that's. Felony murder, second degree. Even if someone you're doing it with kills somebody, then you're still liable if you're if you're part of the felony. Yep. That is, yeah, wow, that is going to be a, a lot easier to prove. And I know Ellison here. Um, I mean, the turnaround was 
obviously, on one hand, not fast enough. On the other hand, relatively quick. I'll talk about that in a minute. But we have received news that the other three officers are being charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder. What can you tell us about aiding and abetting? Does it carry the same sentence, et cetera? Yeah. So aiding and abetting is is a very valuable tool for prosecutors. We would charge it in almost every case just as a sort of fail-safe. And basically it says even if you do not commit a crime with your own hands or, I, you know, in this case, I guess your own knee, um, you are still liable if you help aided and abetted somebody else, meaning helped, aided, counseled, procured, et cetera. The law books go on and on. But it's basically like what you would teach a kid. So if your friend does something bad and you help him, it's your fault, too. Now, yes, the, the, the penalties are the same. In some ways, I think the case against the other officers will be harder than against Chauvin and in some ways easier. It, it'll be harder because, you know, he's the obvious one who's doing all the, all the bad conduct on the video. It could be easier, though, because in a way, all you have to do is show they helped them in some way, knowingly helped them in some way. Um, and so, but look, all of these charges are going to be tricky. And the attorney general made a point of saying that at his press conference. He said none of this is going to be easy, and he's right. I mean, I've been through enough trials to know that anyone who tells you a, a, a trial is uh, you know, going to be easy and going to come out one way or the other hasn't done enough trials. Yeah, and he had to uh, cross every T and dot every I because Ellison knows he has to have an airtight case here, or at least the best one possible, because this is a white cop, and he knows justice isn't applied equally under the law to white cops. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say any delay in charges here was a direct result of systematic racism. He also knows that that the, the world is going to be watching this this case like none other. And I will say, I mean, we need to keep this in perspective. Ellison got this case, what, four or five days ago, something like that. I know the, the, the killing happened about nine days ago, but that is a really quick turnaround on a, on a murder charge that has some nuance, particularly as to the other officers. I, I don't think he should be faulted for, for taking too long. I know there's this sort of... Um, you know, you, you have this instinct where everyone wants to see things happen immediately. And I get that. But to take four or five days to put together murder charges against four different people is is not unrealistic to me. It, it's not unreasonable to me. I think he was moving, as he said, and he said this a few days ago, he's got to get it right. He's got to get every fact down. And if that takes three or four days, OK. Um, and here we are. There's much more ahead. Yeah, I think the delay is, was, you know, with Freeman. And then, of course, Floyd's family came to the governor and said, we want Ellison to have it. And, they, and he handed that over. And we also have to remember, 1992, that uprising came when the officers in the Rodney King trial were acquitted and not when not when they beat him. And so Ellison has to ensure uh, that that everything is is done to the utmost degree of of. Uh, certainty in this and and i mean i don't know how 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 do you think he could well before we, we get to the impartial jury that's my last question i just wanted to say that this is interesting i was talking to brian Colt, who pointed out that a previous minnesota supreme court case actually found that third degree murder which was the initial charge brought by mike freeman who is the hennepin county attorney um third degree murder or a depraved mind murder can't occur when the defendant's actions were focused on a specific person, and that's from State v. Barnes in 2006. So a third-degree charge could have failed in this case because Chauvin knew Floyd. Right. So, I mean, look, there, there's a lot of complexity to that, but there is a third-degree murder charge in this case. It charges count two against Chauvin um, because it's a fallback, basically. It's a safety yeah. net. So the, the, the jury will have, really, they'll have three 
menu options, so to speak, when it comes to children. They have, they'll have the second degree that we just discussed. They'll have the third degree sort of reckless and danger. That's not the right term, but um, reckless mind with, with uh, out regard for human life. And then they'll also have a manslaughter charge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they can sort of choose any of those three. And it's, it's a smart way to charge a case, and it's a safer way to charge a case because it's not as if everything rides on getting the top charge. There is an outcome here where a jury maybe doesn't find a second degree but does find a third degree, which is not 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 the ideal scenario, but it's certainly better than just an acquittal. Yeah, and we have to worry about the consequences of those kinds of things. How does Ellison ensure an impartial jury in this case? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, well, how do, both, how do both sides and the judge ensure an impartial jury? Um, this is about as high profile as it gets. You're not going to be able to get a jury of 12 people who've not heard of this. And if someone hasn't heard of this, you're going to have to ask serious questions about where they've been living um, and where their head is at. The best you can do in a high-profile case is you have to you will vet your potential jurors. They will be asked, "Have you heard about this?" You have to assume they'll all say yes. And then you say, "Have you formed any opinion? Have you preliminarily come to any opinion about this these officers' guilt?" And both sides will be looking at that. And if somebody says no um, and you believe them as a, as a lawyer who's picking a jury, then you can seat them. One thing that they really need to do, both sides, is make sure to look at the social media feeds for any potential jurors. And that is generally done now, and it's ethical and it's accepted because the, the nightmare scenarios, you, you get a jury together and then you find that five of them have been posting inflammatory things either way on Instagram or Twitter or whatever after the fact. I mean, they should be asked during the process, have you posted anything on social media or the Internet? Um, because what the last thing you want is, is, a, is a verdict that's later overturned because there was some procedural problem. Yeah, you don't want what Roger Stone tried to do <laughs> with with the foreman of the jury. All right, well, thank right, you. No, I mean that's a perfect example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember. I mean, of course, he didn't he didn't get anywhere with that, but uh, he tried. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you uh, very much, former federal and state prosecutor Ellie Honig, CNN legal analyst. I appreciate you coming back on because I know we just talked about this the other day, and we were both saying this needs to be second or first degree murder. So I, I'm I'm glad to see these charges being superseded. Yeah, it's the right move. I'm glad to be with you anytime, AJ. All right, everybody, stick around. Right after this, we have another interview with uh, former assistant director of the FBI uh, for counterintelligence, Frank Figluzzi. We're going to talk about the DEA spying on protesters. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. It is so important these days to focus on nutrition, health, and keeping your immune system strong, and that's why I want to share with you my new ritual. It's the obsessively researched vitamin for women called Ritual. Ritual's Essentials has the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, all in their clean, absorbable forms. No shady additives or weird ingredients that do more harm than good. Just two easy-to-take capsules that provide nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. Uh, As you know, I've been taking Ritual for over a year. I feel more energy and clarity, and mentally I feel good knowing that I'm doing everything I can to support my immune system, especially during these times. Uh, And so, you know, Ritual Essential for Women is the ultimate multivitamin. It helps fill the gaps in in your diet, and that's important to me because I'm an intermittent faster and I have a restricted paleo diet. So, And they, you know, have everything from D3s to omega-3s, and their no-nausea capsule you can take on an empty stomach, which is also great for my intermittent fasting. And there's a mint tab in every bottle so you don't have that fishy aftertaste. 
ritual uses vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients. It's delivered directly to you, and a subscription is easy to start, and it's easy to stop. It's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients you need. Delivered every month, no strings attached. Better health doesn't happen overnight. Right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. So fill the gaps in in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash dailybeans to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is former assistant director of the FBI for counterintelligence, Frank Fagluzzi. Frank, thanks for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me, AG. It's been busy. Yeah, it's, it is a busy news day, and I, I specifically wanted to speak to you because of a chilling story that came out yesterday uh, that Bill Barr apparently gave the DEA the go-ahead to spy on American citizens. And I don't even know where to start with this, but I guess under what authority can he do that? What, what is he doing? Well, first, we, we need a whole lot of more detail, and we should be demanding a whole lot more detail on what this means and, and Congress should be demanding a whole lot more detail. So first, um, the authority of federal law enforcement agencies comes from two places. It either comes from law via the Congress or it comes through executive order via the president. This gray area is the, the temporary, and what we're probably, probably seeing here is the temporary assignment of additional authorities by the chief law enforcement officer, the attorney general, um, over a, an agency that falls within his purview, namely the DEA, which falls under DOJ. But I have not heard legal scholars weigh in on whether or not this is valid or not. And I think the temporary status of this, he, as you know, he's assigned this to say, oh, 14 days of being everything to all people. And I think um, he might be able to do that, but I'm I'm not certain. And as we as we look at the the spectrum of possibilities, from extremely nefarious and dangerous on one end to innocuous and helpful to the moment on the other end, we we have to assess this um, by what we know. And what we know is we've taken the Drug Enforcement Administration, a relatively small agency with a very narrow mission um, to to look at a handful of drug violations is that's their mission and they're they're good at it um, and we've taken them in the middle of an opioid epidemic a drug epidemic during a time if you'll recall a few weeks ago where the president put Navy warships into our seas because we were quote unquote being um, being um, invaded by drug cartels who were trying to seize the moment during the coronavirus. Um, and we've taken that drug enforcement agency and we said, you know what? You have a handful of criminal violations right now, but we're going to make you the super law enforcement agency. You have any authorities you need to monitor and surveil protesters and investigate crimes arising out of the protest. Well, first of all, if you want to talk about one of the poorest written communiques I've ever seen, throw in the sentence, monitor and surveil protesters. That, that, there's, there's no violation in protesting and exercising your free speech rights. So we need clarification on this. Now, let's move toward the... So it could be a helpful deployment of resources in a moment of crisis to help the federal government take care of business with regard to dangerous, um, violent rioters and organized groups. That's, that's on the happy end. Let's go to the, the dangerous end, which is that 
The DEA was handpicked, possibly because a guy named Tim Shea is now the DEA administrator. Ah, well, that could explain it. And, um, you know, I it, it just I have it in my head like over and over again when Trump meant he was good when Trump said he was going to activate Barr. And I don't know if this is part of that. Uh, and I was going to ask why the DEA, but if that's where Tim Shea is now, and we, and we know Tim Shea was installed in the District of Columbia U.S. Attorney's Office after Jesse Liu was unceremoniously tricked out of leaving. Um, and so now, and he has also, you know, put his name on the uh, go easy on Roger Stone and let's dismiss the Flynn case filings. So he does uh, have a, a recent history of being weaponized or, you know, assisting the president in weaponizing our institutions. Yeah, let's um, let's understand who Tim Shea is. You, you just recapped very nicely. He's asked for the sentence recommendation for Roger Stone, and he's he filed personally, it appears. He filed the motion to dismiss the charges on Flynn. He was at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office for the time it takes to have a cup of coffee And then he filed the motion to dismiss Flynn and he came over and was named DEA administrator. And lo and behold, we have essentially a lackey, a functionary willing to accept any mission um, on behalf of Barr. And the mission here on the nefarious theory side would be that we now have a small agency headed by a functionary, a lackey, um, that could, if we're not careful, turn into an agency that spies on Americans during a time where most protesters are simply trying to exercise their First Amendment rights. I I have to tell you, without trying to sound conspiratorial, this is a page out of a dictator's playbook. The, the, The notion that you would have a small secret cadre of federal spies um, to spy on those who present a threat to you should be chilling to most Americans. Yeah, and that's that's again the reason I wanted to bring you on today. This, you know, we've got so much. We're just being bombarded with so much news right now, and it's all very important news. Uh, and and I just wanted to make sure this one didn't go by the wayside. And um, speaking of, you know, tinfoil hats, I mean, this reminds me of the the May twenty first New York Times story reporting Trump was pushing spy agencies, our intelligence community, to find ties between COVID and the Wuhan lab. Um, This is another instance of Trump lying off the cuff and then pushing our institutions to sort of force it to be true so that he, you know, here's a guy who takes Sharpies to Noah maps to to make his mistake seem correct, who won't correct himself on the 2017 or 2018 flu pandemic mistake. Trump and Barr lied recently, saying they have evidence Antifa was responsible for the violence during the protests. And now it seems like they're weaponizing the intelligence community to make that lie real. Um, in the face of the FBI just concluding there's no evidence of that. Um, so can you talk to me about a minute for a minute about the, that conclusion uh, and also the utilization of the intelligence community to make his reelection lies real? So first, I think it's, it's very important to put in, in proper context the, the, uh, the leaked report that BuzzFeed got their hands on with regard to the FBI finding no evidence of Antifa in the protest. Um, it's very important to say two things. One, that memo came out of the Washington field office, so it applies only to their area of responsibility. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that's important, although I think it's significant because if you were going to see um, a, an element of Antifa, you would likely most see it in the D.C. area. But nonetheless, let's let's put it in context. Number two, um, the sources I have in, in federal law enforcement tell me that they are seeing a full host of diverse organized groups uh, within the protest movement from the far left and the global anarchists, for example. Um, some um, think they're seeing people either real or pretend to be Antifa. And then clearly they are seeing far right to include taking long guns off of known members of the Boogaloo Boys, um, finding railroad spikes secreted along protest routes in the Detroit area, which is a hallmark of the global anarchists, and social, people who monitor um, the private social media accounts of the far-right hate groups are seeing um, evidence that they are present in the, in the protests as well. So this is an equal opportunity um, exploitation of an otherwise valid protest, and we should all be concerned about that. But I also have to say, A.G., Let's be very, very careful to not get caught up in what I call the Trump narrative, which is, oh, my God, the sky is falling. We're under attack from sophisticated organized groups, and the only solution to it is a military solution. The problem with that is it's not true. The vast majority of the looters, the property damagers, the rioters are opportunistic criminals. That's what every law enforcement source I talk to is telling me that sometimes a guy throwing a brick through a window is just a guy throwing a brick through a window. And somebody going into a department store and taking clothes out is just sometimes a thief. So let's, let's not get caught up in the, we have to have active duty military on the streets of our city acting as police officers. Yeah, no, and Mark Esper actually broke with Trump today, saying he didn't think that that was uh, a way to go. And also, I think uh, Republican Majority Whip Thune also said that. Thune? Thune? Um, so, yeah, we, we definitely don't want to get caught up. And that's a very interesting point you bring up about this, just the D.C. field office or the Washington field office talking about the uh, no Antifa protesters just in the D.C. area. And so it's not a they're they're not commenting nationally, but you're right. It's so important because if he if if this administration was going to try to blame far left uh, specific groups that he wants to dub terrorist organizations uh, on the violence, you know, he could use that to justify gassing and shooting rubber bullets into the crowd in Lafayette Park or, uh, you know, why he had to go, quote unquote, inspect his bunker. Um, because of what was happening in the D.C. area, because he did mention that in that Rose Garden speech. I protect the Capitol. I will protect the Capitol with the, you know, and so that's sort of where the, the focus is. My, my concern is that if you, if you take him, his rhetoric seriously, and, and we never know whether to or not, but I think we have a track record of his rhetoric uh, providing a clue as to where he's headed. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned that, that the use of the military in Lafayette Park and, and in D.C. is a, t is a trial run, um, maybe a trial balloon for what he hopes to see across the nation. And his call with the governors uh, recently, where he implored them to use troops and request troops, and, where, and in his own Rose Garden press conference, where he said he'd send troops in no matter what, um, very dangerous and seems to be hell-bent on 
a military solution. Why? It puts him in charge. He's the commander in chief. He can tell them what to do. It likely bothers him to no end that he cannot tell the governors what to do. Yeah, which is odd because his argument for COVID is the opposite. I, I, I we aren't we aren't in charge. The governors have this responsibility. It's not me, uh, and uh, I shouldn't have to do that. I take no responsibility. Yet here he wants to control the narrative on this. And that's just all to me all about reelection, especially with his quote unquote law and order claims that he seems to think this country has forgotten what that really means. Yeah, let's let's remember that this this whole narrative of uh, I'm the law and order guy and Democrats are the rioters and looters people. Um, this simply doesn't ring true. Uh, we're, we're talking about a guy who's um, just completely thumbed his nose at the law, turned the Justice Department upside down. And and now is pretending to be someone who actually is on the side of law and justice. And his cohort, his guy riding shotgun for him, the attorney general of the United States, um, actually scares me more than the president does because he's truly hijacked the concept of the Justice Department. Um, and the fact the story's playing out now in various respectable news outlets that the attorney general was the one giving orders in Lafayette Park the other day. That, that just, that's just a trouble, all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you're right. It's one thing. And we've had, we've had attorneys general in the past that didn't do the best job, but at least they, sh- they sucked independently of the, uh, of the executive branch. Uh, and now they're just connected at the hip. It's, it's dangerous. And this, uh, this activation of Bill Barr and the utilization of the drug enforcement agency to surveil protesters, I think is just another straw in the cap of authoritarianism, like you said. Well, there are reports that the rank and file DEA agents are are actually extremely concerned about where where this is going. It's not simply a diversion of mission. It is it, it could be a perversion of of the constitutional rights of Americans. We don't know what, where this is going. And I'll be very honest with you, while the DEA is extremely adept at uh, international drug investigations, I don't know what they look like on uh, in terms of investigating organized uh, protest movement. Let, let's be and, and I've just fallen into a trap here myself, which is I keep using the word organized. <laughs> the, the Antifa, right? The Antifa movement is not organized. There's no Antifa headquarters. There's no CEO and president of Antifa. The other day when the president tweeted, I am declaring Antifa a domestic terrorism organization, they're not an organization. And by the way, he has no lawful authority or nor process in place to declare a domestic outfit a terror organization. We don't do that yet. We don't even have a domestic terrorism law. Most Americans don't know that. There is no federal domestic terrorism law in the books. There is for international terrorism, but there is not for domestic. So, and that could be a whole other discussion that we have, but he's faking it when he says he's declaring Antifa a terror organization. He doesn't like them. They don't like him. And and that's not what this is about. Yeah. Yeah. And and we know that that it's not there's no such thing as a domestic terror organization legally because we've been asking for one because of the rise in in white supremacists white supremacist groups, boogaloo boys, etc. uh that uh, we've seen something like a 495% increase since 2017. Uh and so we've been asking for that and then here he gives it in where it doesn't exist. So yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and it harms Here's the thing, you know, I, I'm a 25-year law enforcement veteran. 
What I get concerned about here with this kind of politicization of a crisis is, is what it does to law enforcement. When I talk to folks in law enforcement right now, they are nervous, not about their capability to handle this threat, but rather their capability to handle the White House. Because if, 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 they, if they round up the baddest actors on the streets right now and even try to apply federal charges to them, which is a challenge, um, and they happen to say, oh, yeah, you know, good news. We've, we found the baddest actors. And the attorney general says, well, who are they? Oh, they're, they're right-wing hate groups. Oh, that doesn't fit the narrative. And so I get, I get really troubled by whether or not we're going to see constraints put on law enforcement to simply do their job. Yeah. Yeah, same. Um, that's got to be tough. And I know uh, all thousands and thousands of men and women, frontline career professionals who work not just in law enforcement, but in the intelligence community uh, and the Department of Justice are all, I think, between a rock and a hard place. So, But I'm glad I got I got to say this um, kind of uh, because of where I come from, my old agency thank God, is not the agency designated by Bill Barr to spy on Americans. Um, because, and, and I, I want, I, I, my, my gut tells me that maybe Barr either tried that with Chris Ray, the FBI director, and Chris Ray told him what he could do with that idea. That's or, what I think. That's what I think. <laughs> or, or even better, Bill Barr knew full well not to even present that silliness to the FBI director, and he went right to Tim Shea, who he could order to do anything. Right, because uh, we, he might he might like Ray, and if Ray said no, then we know where, what's going to happen to Ray. So Right, so why force <laughs> the issue? Yeah. yeah, I don't want to get my buddy in trouble. All right, well, thank you, uh, former Assistant Director of the FBI for Counterintelligence, Frank Fagluzzi. Frank, thanks for speaking with us today. Thanks, AG. Stay safe. You as well. And uh, everybody, stay with us. Coming up next, we have the Good News Block, and you don't want to miss it, so stick around. Hey everybody, it's AG. Let me tell you about the most useful app on my phone. Sometimes when you're busy, it's hard to find the time to sit down to read for pleasure or work on personal development. And there is now an incredible app that solves this problem. And I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique. It works on your phone and your tablet and your web browser, wherever you need it. It takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses it down to just 15 minutes uh, that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Uh, Blinkist is made for busy people like us who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. Or so that you can preview books that you might want to read in full later. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or when you're exercising. That's when I listen to it or at your lunch break. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now. It has a massive and growing library from self-help and business to health and history books. They have the latest titles from bestsellers as well as classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. Uh, I love it because, like I said, in less than 15 minutes, uh, I can get the main points of a book. I can fast track my path to being more informed and I can decide if I want to read that book in full later. Uh, and I use Blinkist when I'm out on you know, my walks or running on the treadmill. Um, I've recently gone through Becoming by Michelle Obama, which I've read in full now, and I, I can't recommend it enough. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want for one low price. All the books you want for one low price. So right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com beans. Try it free for seven days and save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, dot com slash beans to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but when you sign up only at Blinkist.com slash beans. 
All right, everybody, it's time for the good news. And joining me today for the Good News Block is Amanda Reeder. Amanda, how are you today? Doing okay, AG. How are you? I am good. It's a it's a it's a more uplifting day today. I'm feeling better, uh, and I think we have a lot of good news. We've got I know we've got a lot of listener good news, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing it. Hell yeah. Um, I have an interesting good news slash Schadenfreude. E. We won't do mm-hmm. the jingle for it. It's not total Schadenfreude, but it's it's it borderlines on it. All right, hit me with it. Just coming across my desk right now, Judge Mattis has trounced Trump, describing him as a threat to the Constitution says, Donald Trump is the first president in my lifetime who does not try to unite the American people, does not even pretend to try. Instead, he tries to divide us. We are witnessing the consequences of three years of his deliberate effort. Uh, We are witnessing the consequences of three years without mature leadership. We can unite without him, drawing on the strengths inherent in our civil society. This will not be easy, as the past few days have shown, but we owe it to our fellow citizens, to past generations that bled to defend our promise, and to our children. Wow. Yeah, so moderate dog Mattis is Mm -hmm. uh, finally speaking out. A little late. Could have used this last year, mad dog. (laughs) Where was that spirit before the whole world was on fire? (laughs) I know. It's like that thing from the wedding singer where he's like, again, information that would have been useful yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, welcome to the fight, white guy. Yeah, right. Oh, congratulations. Um, he's joined us. He's truly moderate dog Mattis now. Um, uh, anyway, uh, that's a little bit of good news. Of course, we we do have the uh, upgrade. We've we've gone over this uh, with um, Ellie Honig earlier. We have the upgrade of the third degree murder charge to second degree, and the other three officers have been charged and, and uh, if convicted, will go to jail as long as, as the same amount of time as the the murderer himself. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of cool nuances in this case. Uh, Ellison isn't trying to prove intent for second degree murder. He's just trying to prove, uh, uh, prove felony murder, which is mm-hmm. way easier, uh, which is that, uh, that murder was committed while another crime was being committed in the, you know, in the pers- you know, in the, while another crime was going on and that other crime was assault. So they just need to approve assault and that he died, uh, because of what happened. And I think mm-hmm. that, that that has a better chance of the third degree murder charge because there's some state Supreme Court case in Minnesota that says you can't commit third degree murder against somebody you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, depraved mind has to be somebody that you uh, don't know, apparently. So hmm. anyway, what good news do we have of our listeners? We have, it's a great good news day. I'm I'm so thrilled. Thank you so much for everyone for sending in your good news. Keep it coming. Um, let's, let's kick it off here with uh, one from Nicole. Nicole says, uh, in an effort to spend time together as a family, I have started playing a tabletop RPG with my parents and my sister via Zoom. We are spread out across the country and won't be seeing each other for a long time. My sister and I are in our late 30s, early 40s, and just started playing D&D in the past few years. My parents are in their 70s and have never played an RPG before. Uh, We're playing a game set in the 1930s where they get to fight Nazis and dinosaurs. (laughs) I never thought my parents would be into something like this, but honestly, we've been having a blast. They put so much time and thought into their characters and are doing an amazing job of role playing. We found a way to create some amazing memories despite being locked up and so far away from each other. Yay, that is so great. We do our 
we do our D&D remotely too and kids on bikes and call it Cthulhu. So that's so great. I'm so glad that you're that you've got that going on. How wonderful. I've been playing um I've been playing like fun party games on uh using an app called a uh, House Party and uh I've been like hanging out with my sisters and my mom and stuff and you know like it really does help. I know we're all fatigued of video calls, but it does help. Um all right, the next one is from Sean. Oh, interesting interesting trivia for you. Yeah. Um my millennial cohort. Yes. Uh House House Party was a movie starring Kid and Play. And that's the second movie in that series was the Pajama Jammy Jam, which is where we got our second week theme for our Q&A. Oh, I did not know that. Thank you for the information. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Okay, this is from Sean. Sean says, in case you didn't know, Ferguson has just elected a black woman as mayor, finally. And then um, I have a little excerpt from an article here. It says, Ella Jones. Did you cover this already in the episode? Nope, haven't nope. covered it yet. All right, cool. No, nope, we just covered, we only, the only election we covered was the Pennsylvania primary that Biden won every county. And then we also talked about racist Steve King losing his primary in <laughs> Iowa. Yes, fuck yes. <laughs> I, I fucking I, hate I, that guy. I really needed that. That's the guy who wanted like, like pokey spikes coming out of the the border wall and, oh, and like, like a like murder hornet moat around the country like that guy is just such a fucking piece of shit i'm so glad he lost but tell me about tell me about the uh the new mayor of ferguson he's honestly barbaric Ugh. okay so the new mayor of ferguson ella jones uh she's been on the ferguson city council since 2015 and she was elected to become mayor of ferguson on tuesday night becoming its first black mayor in history as well as the first woman ever to serve in the role Uh, She defeated her opponent, winning 54% of the vote. Ferguson is a city where nearly 70% of residents are black. When asked what her win represented, she responded, one word, inclusion. Okay, I'm going to (laughs) cry. Yeah, I love that. So uh, in case you didn't know that that happened this week in the midst of all of these protests and in this moment, um, I think it couldn't have been better timed. So congratulations to Ella Jones and to Ferguson. I hope that she brings in some much needed change because there should absolutely be a black mayor of a city, which is 70% black. (laughs) Um. (laughs) (laughs) She's the first. That's stunning. Yeah, it's it's stunning. Yeah, not surprising. Yeah, not surprising. It's just indicative of the systematic exclusion yep. of people mm-hmm. of color. Um, all right. This one is from uh, from uh, Fuck Trump, a uh, very aptly named good news story. Uh, it says, when I saw a hashtag white lives matter trending on Twitter yesterday, uh, I felt uneasy. I still decided to click on it to see what, what the hell was going on and, you know, stay informed. And believe it or not, every post was K-pop related. Everything. All K-pop memes. I just burst out laughing. Best troll move this week. Bravo. Also, white supremacists can go fuck themselves. Yes. Always. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. This next one's really nice. Uh, in case you didn't know, it is Pride Month, even though it doesn't feel much like Pride Month. And I really uh, I, I, I can't tell you how important it is for uh, white queer people and white gay people and uh, other white, uh, you know, folks in the LGBT spectrum to please center the stories of black and brown people this month. Um, This is their fucking month. So please do that. Anyway, on to the good news story. 
Um, this is from Josh, and Josh says, Hi, AG, Jordan, and Mandy. I have listened to Muller, She Wrote, and The Daily Bean since the very beginning, and you have all kept me sane, and I appreciate it so much more than words can say. Growing up, I lived in a very conservative house, and being gay, I was told that I would never find love because of the choices that I made. Choices, quote unquote. Uh, during my 20s, this led to a deep shame spiral where I worked dead-end jobs and couldn't find my niche in life. Fast forward a few years, here I am at 34. I will be celebrating my first anniversary with my husband on the 15th. We own a home where we get to take care of our awesome pod dogs. I'm currently in school full-time for accounting and got straight A's for the first time in my life. Absolutely none of that would be possible without my husband working so hard to make sure I have a homemade dinner almost every night, the house cleaned, and our pod dogs happy. So thank you, Andy, for being the best person I've ever met, and I can't wait to see what the future has in store for us. Aw, happy pride, guys. <laughs> yeah, happy pride. Ugh, next year, next year. And if you're out there and... Absolutely. Well, also, Pride is an energy. You know, this month, Pride is is back to its roots. Pride, the first Pride was a riot, you guys. So just remember that. And if you're out there and your gay parents do not love you, there are people out there who will love you. And I love you. So I'm feeling full of Pride feelings today. Anyway. Um, all right. This next one is from New Zealand. And, you know, I think we might need to have a rule that no more good news stories from New Zealand for a while because it makes us look bad. <laughs> All of the good news mm. stories from New Zealand. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we get it, you guys. Yeah, we don't. Although, although we don't really need New Zealand to make us look bad right now, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, um, from Cindy, uh, she says, the New Zealand government has just made all sanitary products free for girls at school. How cool is that? Period poverty means 90,000 New Zealand girls miss out on a full education because of it. I'm very proud that our fabulous Minister for Women, uh, the Green Party's uh, Julianne uh Genter, I believe that's how you say it, uh, has managed to get this policy through. That is amazing. Congratulations. Yes. Um, yep. Making us look bad. That's <laughs> That should be their slogan. New Zealand, making America look bad. <laughs> New Zealand, making everyone look bad. <laughs> <laughs> really exactly right. I mean, I mean, the thing is, they went above and beyond because a lot of Canadians, I mean, before the whole, let's be real, look, before the whole blackface thing, a lot of Canadians were like, Justin Trudeau is so amazing. But New Zealand had to yeah. go above and beyond and not only have someone even more progressive than him, but also she's a woman. Like, mm -hmm. hats off to New Zealand. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, the next one is from Mo, and she says, "I believe it's a she." Uh, good news for women's rights uh, for women's right to abortion in Kentucky. The court has sided with women rather than the state regarding decisions about termination of a pregnancy. And then I pulled this little excerpt here from an article, and it says, "The sixth, sorry, let me re redo that. The Sixth Circuit in Kentucky refused." to reinstate a law that would require physicians to perform a so-called fetal demise procedure before a standard second trimester abortion, ruling that the law imposes a significant burden on women seeking abortions. What is a second... a what procedure? Uh, basically, there. Were, I, I'm not sure what a fetal demise procedure is, but uh, I, I'm assuming it was... I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but it's... Is that some sort of, like, a thing where they have to show you pictures and, and make you feel shitty or... Yeah. Give you I, an additional pelvic exam, like a... like <laughs> Something. Um, yeah. uh, I'm looking into it here. I didn't... Uh, what? Fetal... De okay, here we go. Uh, fetal demise procedures are not, by ne definition, alternative... Uh, let's see here. 
I'm trying to figure out what that stands for, what that means. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to assume it was some bullshit thing that made it harder to get an abortion. And we will circle back to this. Um, wow. Yeah, you're like, I must know now. <laughs> Induced fetal demise refers to the injection of pharmacologic agent into a fetus. Oh. Okay. So they want to euthanize the fetus before it's aborted. Okay. Okay. So I guess so it doesn't. Because they, (laughs) right. Because they believe that that life begins. It has feelings. Right. Okay. Um, Well. Wow. uh... Wow. Holy shit. You know, I have been, uh, I've been protesting a lot of shit for a long fucking time and I never heard of this one. I have never heard of that. Well, fucking congrats, Kentucky, for striking that down, <laughs> because I, I also had never heard of that. And uh, this goes to show you, even for someone who tries to be tuned in like I am, there's so much that I don't know, and there's always so much to learn. So um, thank you for sending in that good news story, Mo. Um, all right. This next one is from Moira. And Moira says, a 115-year-old Confederate monument monument in Birmingham, Alabama, was taken down on Monday by the mayor of Birmingham. Uh, the city will have to pay a $25,000 fee, but the mayor felt it would be worth it to help stop the looting. There have also been Confederate monuments coming down this week in Montgomery, Alabama, Alexandria, Virginia, and Tampa, Florida. <laughs> this is a moment. This is definitely mm-hmm. a fucking moment. Um, I love that. Um, all right. This next one is from Anonymous. And Anonymous says, I love adult coloring books. Uh, same. I also love adult coloring books. So if anybody same. wants to send some to us, please feel free. Um, and I found out that you can get ones where you have, where they have cards you can color and mail. I've been spending wonderful hours coloring cards and envelopes and sending them to friends, challenge, challenging them to send cards to their friends and to buy postage stamps to support the postal service. This way I get to get hey. in touch with my friends and support the post office. Oh, I'm going to do that. I want to color pictures and send them to my friends with love notes on them. That's nice. Yeah, that is that is great. And if you haven't checked out the Fuck Trump adult coloring book, it's great. Mm-hmm. You should check that one out. And of course, um, we have a listener, Gail, who creates these amazing, uh, she calls them doodles, but it's art. And I guess doodles can be art uh, that, that are also like meant to me for coloring. Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, we just have two more good news stories, and I'll get the I'll get through those. Um, from Lana, Lana says, "I have been an informed listener for the past two years of your podcast, and really paid attention when you all sounded the alarm back in January about COVID nineteen. I prepped and felt a little crazy, encouraging friends and family to prepare and distance." and being very careful. In March, I was still seeing various community members being exposed from pharmacies to yard staff to essential grocery employees. I witnessed a woman at the grocery store with a coffee filter scotch taped to her face. Um, uh, I also pulled uh, my 81-year-old mom out of assisted living to live with us as the center had 12 known cases. We have been self-quarantined since we brought her here. So far, we are all COVID-free and healthy, but I needed something to keep my mind busy and be a helper. I learned how to sew when I was a kid, so I started sewing very basic bandana masks. My husband calls them Lana bandanas. Uh, I use cloth napkins because <laughs> her name's Lana. Must That's be cute. Lana and not yeah, Lana. Lana bandanas. Lana bandanas. I use cloth napkins and bandanas, which require no cutting and fabric hair ties. After after several prototypes, the simpler, the better the work. Uh, sorry, the simpler, the better work, and I can make 
many, many, many in a day. I think I have made about 400 so far. We have given them out. Oh. Yeah. Uh, We have given them out for free to the local domestic violence and food shelters, Safeway employees, landscapers, treatment centers, and complete strangers. I truly believe that we are in this together. You three ladies have saved my soul and my sanity, so please keep swearing and venting and speaking the truth. Okay, deal. Yeah, fuck yeah. Thank you, Lana. That's awesome, giving out all those masks for free because, you know... It's it's some people just can't afford them or they they require more or they need some for their friends and family. So like if you have the resources to give out masks for free that you've made, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, Yes. All right. This this is our last good news story for the day. And this is from Rain. And Rain linked us to an article on Twitter and said, hey, you should share this good news story. And it's a link to an article on The Guardian about how. America is is using a lot of renewable sources right now. Uh, so solar, wind, and other renewable energy sources have topped coal in energy generation in the U.S. for the first time in over 130 years, with the pandemic accelerating a decline in coal that has had profound implications for the climate crisis. Not since wood was the main source of American energy in the 19th century has a renewable resource been more heavily used than coal. Um Yep. And uh, and it says uh, this means that renewable surpassed coal for the first time since at least 1885, a year when Mark Twain first published The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn and America's first skyscraper was erected in Chicago. Mm. Wow. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I believe that there is always going to be a balance in the universe and, you know, the earth is going to do what it needs to do. And mm-hmm. You know, I, f- I feel around this one. Also, just a final note on this story, though. I want to, I want to like, <laughs> it's funny. I grew up uh, in a very like working class family and I have had close family members who have, you know, worked in oil fields and stuff and have helped to generate fossil fuels um, at different points. Um, not because they p- believe in that, but because they do it for the money. And it says here that um, the collapse of coal right now is accelerating poverty in places like West Virginia and throughout the Appalachia region. And so, you know, this was always going to be a really painful transition for an area like that that's already suffering. And so I just hope that the people of those areas which have relied on jobs in non-renewable sources are able to, like, create something new and better and, you know, rise to the moment somehow. I really am sending so many good feelings to those places because so many people who work in non-renewable energy sources, they don't do it because they don't believe in climate change. They do it to feed their families. So um, yeah, I'm just sending yeah. out love love to those folks, you know. 100%. And if we had an administration that gave a shit about you, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, that's why we need to vote. We need those training programs. We need to retool things. We need to get people back to work on renewables mm-hmm. and, in, and infrastructure and the Republicans aren't going to spend any money on the working class. There's just they're just not going to. Mm-hmm. Green New Deal. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it, well, uh, you know, uh, Biden has put AOC in charge. I, I know. I love that. So that that makes me feel good in terms of some of the strategy that might come out of a Biden pre- presidency on climate. So and yeah, and John Kerry is going to be helping her out because yeah. he he you know he's the architect of the Paris Accord. So mm-hmm. so that's all the good news I got for today. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody, thanks for sending in that good news. Yes. We need it. Um, I hope everyone's feeling a little bit of hope mm-hmm. today um, with everything that's happening. This conversations obviously need to continue. 
Uh, but I still do have it. I do feel that we're at a tipping point and I think Trump is crumbling and I think we might finally address uh, the systematic racism that has plagued uh, our nation, our, 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 our fatal sins that we've committed um, that, that we just, I, you know, it has to be rectified. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think the reckoning I think is coming. I'm and I'm hopeful, especially with the wave of young people that are going to be coming up and taking in control of every, taking charge of and voting and and becoming our new leaders. I'm mm-hmm. I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope. So thank Same. you for sending those in. And uh, Mandy, thanks for uh, for reading them. And uh, do you have any final thoughts? I do not. Happy Pride, by the way. Oh yes, yes. So I I exercised a lot. I meditated a lot today. So I hope you all enjoyed my burst of very <laughs> uh, uh, introspective philosophical feelings today on everything, everyone. <laughs> I do. I always do. And everyone, please take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. I've been Amanda Reader. And them's the Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>